number of years ago, we were living in Southern California. I was a youth pastor, and during the adult worship services, I played guitar on the worship team, and or I was in the booth in the back. I loved the vantage point from the booth because little do you know, they can see everything you're doing. I'm just helping you out there. I'm just saying they can see everything you're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. So I love sitting back there, and here's why. Not just because I could catch people doing stuff they shouldn't be. It was because you could also get a sense for what God was doing in a given environment. And so when I was sitting in the back, it was like I could tell God was moving, or or you could just feel the room. There's something about that vantage point. And we were having a conference that was an apostolic conference. Now, that may sound confusing, and depending on where you come from, and when I look around this room, we we have people from all shapes, sizes, theologies, backgrounds, denominations, non-denominations, churches that are denominations but won't allow themselves to be called denominations. We got it all in here, right? We got the whole kit and caboodle, whatever that means. Somebody tell me what that means someday. But we got everything, everything under this broad umbrella called Bridge Church. And everybody's welcome on the bridge, by the way. We'll never draw the bridge. So here we are together. Now, here's the thing. So depending on what your background, you hear the word apostolic and you'll default to a certain thing. So let me tell you what it's not. What I'm talking about when we talk about an apostolic conference is not a conference that's a bunch of people that call themselves apostles and that sit in very high elevated seats. We're talking about the biblical name and what it means, and we're going to look at it today, and it means missionary or sent one or one that is sent so as you know, I, have, I take great delight in unpacking words. I, I had great college professors who taught me the value of words and the, and the value of the original languages of Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew. And so I love deep diving because many denominations, groups, and cults have been started because people didn't properly, accurately, or even care to exegete the Scripture from its original language. Does that make sense? So we've got all kinds of aberrations spinning off. So when I'm talking about apostolic conference that we were having in Southern California, it was a mentality of going and being sent. It was living a life on mission, knowing that that, uh, Matthew chapter 28 was directly to us where Jesus addressed the disciples and said, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. But it literally says in the actual language, as you are going. You see the difference? That is an apostolic life. That is one that is sent. That's one that is living on mission. And that is our call as followers of Jesus, to be sent ones. So in a very real sense, all of us have an apostolic calling on our lives, but some have a higher grace for that than others. And we would say somebody like um, Austin McIntosh. Brian Leslie Haley, others who, uh, Jill Hall, others who have this, this sense of go, I got to go, I got to go. Y'all don't know this, but after I met Austin, he had only been here a few weeks, and I looked at him one time in my office. I said, man, I like you, but you're not going to be here very long. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you are called to the mission field, bro. You are a missionary. If I've ever met a missionary, you're that. He said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I love, I do. I love the missions. I grew up half my life in Scotland. I I do love missions, and my parents were missionaries. I said, well, duh. It's in your gene pool, brother. God put that there, and it's a grace gift on your life. And we were sort of looking for that opportunity through the next two and three years. And now they're in Lisbon, Northern Ireland. He preached this morning. You'll never believe the topic. 
Identity in Christ. Can you believe that? So in a way, we're extending our hands and feet through an apostolic grace. So I was at this conference, and I'm in the booth, and I, I, again, love it, but they were doing an altar call towards the end of the conference, and I mean, people were streaming to the front. There was a grace on this thing. It was kind of like when Max was here in August, and he said, if anybody needs healing, come up front, and 200 people came up front, and we were like, uh, shock and awe. So that was the same sense. So I came down the middle. I got up out of the booth. I came down the middle. But it was so full of people that I couldn't even get, you know, four rows back. We all know the anointing only goes four rows, right? <laughs> so I was trying to get up there as close as possible because I wanted to be in the mix. I wanted to be in the environment. And so I get up towards the front, and I kneel down in the aisle. Unfortunately, we had carpet there, not concrete. And I knelt down, and I had an awake dream. You know what an awake dream is? The Bible calls it a vision. I haven't had a lot of awake dreams. Now, I've daydreamed a lot, but I haven't had a lot of what I would say is an awake dream from God. But I had one of those. And the reason I know it was real, because I can still remember it to this day, 20 plus years ago, I can remember it as though it was right now. It's that clear to me. It's, it's like in high definition. So as I'm kneeling there and I see this, what I thought at first was a basketball or a volleyball in a net. So it was like forced into this net and this net was drawn around it and the net had little knots all in it and it went around this ball and as I'm looking at it in my awake dream, it changes from a basketball or a sports ball of some kind to the globe, to the world. And so now it's making sense. Oh, I'm seeing the world like from a vantage point, and I'm seeing this net drawn around the world. And as the, the awake dream develops, and as I'm just marinating in it and just there, the Lord reveals to me and highlights every knot in the net. And everywhere there's a knot in a physical net and or a spiritual net, there is a connection. And what I've watched over the lot is a global net Mind you, the internet was just getting started. Prodigy was starting to be a big deal. America Online, Juno dial-up internet. Anybody remember that? Thank the Lord for advances in technology. Amen? Took 30 minutes to send an email. That was that time, so there wasn't a lot of thought about the internet per se. But there was this global net around this globe, and I, and I saw it, and everywhere there was a knot, there was a, a divine connection. And over my lifetime, since then, I've watched God connect, 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 connect. And the older I get, the more connections there are. Now, what was that? That was an apostolic call being handed to me, and the Lord showing me that you're going to go around the globe. And if you don't go, you'll be connected to people who are around the globe. In our life... In fact, Annette and I, on one of our first little ministry trips, we just got married. She leans over to me and says, you have an apostolic call in your life. And I was like, well, that means you too. We're going somewhere. <laughs> we have an apostolic call. And I'm telling you, we have gone from place to place to place. It looks terrible on a resume, but it looks amazing to God. Being sent, sent ones, apostolic, on mission, ready to go when God says go. My question for you, are you holding your life with open hands and are you ready to be apostolic? Some of you have that call on your life and you have let it lay dormant. Maybe God wants to resurrect that dream of going. 
Don't tell me it's too late. It's never too late. You've got a pulse. You've got a purpose. You've got a pulse. There's a plan. And God wants to get you on mission. Amen. What that brings me to is this. I'm going to share something. We're talking about awakening to maturity. We're continuing our journey through Ephesians. And we're going to get there in just a second. But I've got to share this in regards to the Harvest Vision mandate. Because that is what is driving everything we are doing. It's driving everything that I'm doing. The reason I walked market plots was because of the harvest vision mandate. And it's this simple but profound and deep belief that God wants to see people saved in our lifetime. I'm tired about reading about revivals on the other side of the pond. I'm tired of reading about revivals in history books. I'm tired of reading about spiritual awakenings in in books and magazines and on the internet and not realizing it right where we live. Don't you believe God is willing that none should perish right here in Fredericksburg? Right here in Harper. Come on, right here in Kerrville. Right here in Centerpoint. Right here. God is willing that none should perish. That is his will. And if it's his will, that means it's his plan and his way. And if that's his will, his way, and plan, that means we need to adjust our lives and to him and then get in on what he's up to. Can I get an amen? amen? So this apostolic call, this call to harvest, this is our call. Two years ago, Max Lucado sat down with me and a group of campus ministers then. We're all pastors now. And so we sat down together around a table, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I have to tell you something. God has given me a vision, an awake dream. And, of course, I'm like, what, coach? And he said, God wants to release a harvest that is unprecedented in our lifetime, and I think it's going to be sooner than later, and I think we're all going to be involved in it. And you know what that was for me? That was a mandate That's why I call it the harvest vision mandate. When we call something a vision, it's a harvest vision. It sounds good. It looks good on a wall or a slide. And it's something that can be kept at a distance. When you say it's a mandate, that means it's an order. That means it's something that God's given us as a command. And I believe that is for us. And I am going to either see it at the end of my life or I'm going to die trying. Because God is willing that none should perish. You do know that's for you and me today. So I want to be about the Father's business, and if I'm going to be called to lead a church and run in the land God's called me, then you bet you this church is going to be about the harvest vision mandate and seeing souls come to Jesus. Welcome to the front lines. You're in it. You're in it. You're in it. Listen to what Max said. He just wrote this to me and several guys just the other morning last week, and he he wrote this little snippet. It says, during my prayer time this morning... The Lord gave me the most wonderful picture. The whole of the United States was a wheat field. A gentle breeze was blowing, causing the wheat to bend. Does that not sound like Max Lucado or what? You can picture it ever so gently in harmony. I want you to hang on to that word harmony because we're going to look at Scripture in a minute and it's going to talk about this. The sky was crystal blue and the wheat was tan. Max had a vision of wheat And the wind blowing over, I have to believe it was the wind of God's breath, God's spirit, blowing over harvest. What was this? It was a reminder and a re-reminder of what God said two years ago. Let me tell you something. I'm like a dog on a bone. Or I'm like like you. It's like I've got a rib bone on the 4th of July and I'm not letting go. 
because I believe it's a mandate, a command for us. As we go through the scriptures, I want the weight and gravity of this command, the weight and gravity of this mandate, the weight and gravity of our calling to rest on us, not in a laborious way because his yoke is easy, his burden is light, but we should feel the weight and gravity of this even as we read the scriptures. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we step into the book of Ephesians chapter 4, I'm asking for an anointing that is greater than, than any of us can imagine. Not just an anointing for me to communicate, but an anointing for all of us to hear, including myself. Open my eyes, open my heart, open my ears. I'm a learner, I'm a student, I'm a disciple as well. So we're here postured before you to learn so that we may live. To understand so that we may reign in life, because that is our call. So Lord, we thank you for your word as we dive in. We thank you that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes and will illumine the word to us. Father, I know this. One word from you can change our lives forever. So I'm asking you to release words into this place, into the atmosphere of this place, and that we will all walk away going, that was a word to me from God. Not from Jimmy, but to me from God. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. So we're going to pick this up. Remember, Paul wrote this letter called Ephesians. It's one of the apostolic letters. It was one of the letters that Paul wrote. But it was a circular letter that he sent. It was addressed to the Ephesian church, which was in Asia. He'd spent two to three years there, and that became sort of a missionary apostolic center for Paul. So while he's there, he gets thrown in prison, and now he's in a Roman jail, in a Roman prison, awaiting his death, which, by the way, Scholars estimate that he died within one to three years of writing the letter to the Ephesians. He knew that the very next day could be his last. Can you imagine sitting and not knowing what's coming next? So he penned a series of letters. One of them, and his last, was the, the letter to that church at Ephesus. Again, circular letter, so it went out to different people. And in that, they would send it to one church, and then they would circulate it among the other churches. So Philippi probably read it, Colossae, Corinth, all of them that were all a part of those missionary journeys, they circulated this letter. But here's the beauty about this letter. This was as though he was writing his manifesto. So the weight and the gravity of the words of the letter to the Ephesians is different than what we read, let's say, in the, in the book of Corinthians or the letter to Colossians, which was battling some occult practices that were slipping in to the church, or the book of Philippians, which is a book of joy. You could just call book of Philippians hallelujah anyway kind of word. And so it was a different style. In this one, it was though he covered all the territory. He covered a lot of ground, all the way from from your position in Christ, your identity in Christ, to spiritual warfare and how to fight the good fight of faith, how to put on your spiritual armor. And we're going to cover all of those things as we journey through Ephesians. So that gives you a little context for this book, because remember, context is what? It's king. Context is king. We want to have biblical integrity as we approach the scriptures. So let's look in and dive into the word. Now, I put this slide up here because I want to remind you of what we did the last two weeks. And this is where you really get a feel for Paul's letter where he's saying, look, you were this, but now you're this. But to personalize it, I can now say I was dead in, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was linked to my past. I couldn't get over who I used to be. Oh, but now 
I am this because I am now in Christ. And because I'm now in Christ, remember what we were told. We've been raised up together, seated in heavenly places. Where's Jesus sitting? At the right hand of the Father, is seated in Christ, in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father, which is the place of favor and authority. Let me just say something. You're packing heat. You have favor and authority on your life if you're a child of God. You may not know it, so you're not acting like it, but let me tell you something. When this clicks and that Tetris square drops, let me tell you something. You're going to walk different. You're going to talk different. You're going to war different in the spirit. You're going to worship different. Why? Because you are a child of God, but you are dangerous. And let me tell you what the enemy hates about you. He hates your potential. He hates the gift that you are. He hates what he knows you can become if you ever get the truth that sets you free. The Bible says this, you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. It'll make you free. But to know means to know in your head and your heart. We've covered this throughout Ephesians. Now, when to hit the ground running, Paul's going to get really practical for a minute. Then he's going to go on a little tangent, which Paul is prone to do in his letters. He gets inspired as he writes. Don't you? Don't you get inspired as you're writing, and then you go, oh, squirrel, I'm going this way. Bird, I'm going this way. We all do it. And Paul's the same. So listen to this as he goes. But don't forget, and one thing I want to share with you, we've given away over 300 of these bookmarks. These are all, these are from Bill Loveless, Christ is Off Ministries, and it's all about in Christ I am. It's taking the scripture and giving you the in Christ statements of the Bible. If you don't know what to pray, get one of these. They're free, and they're right here on the corner of the stage, what we have left, and we will get more. I talked to Bill just this morning about this. He said, we got more. I said, we'll give away 350 of them. He goes, I'll give you another 1,000 of them. Whatever you need, I'll give them to you because this will help you pray the Scripture over your life and remind you of who you are in Christ. How many of you think that's a good idea? All three of you. Praise the Lord. All right, moving right along. All right, here we go. Definition of awakening, and I meant to write spiritual. It's a definition of awakening and spiritual awakening. It means to become fully conscious, alert, or aware of something. I love this, to stir up. My goal, my passion, and my prayer for you is that God would stir up and activate the truth that makes you free. Who you are in Christ right now. Not just who you're becoming, but who you are in Christ now. And listen to the definition of spiritual awakening. This is something that the Lord has just put on my heart because we tend to pray for spiritual awakening as though something from the outside is going to come in. But let me tell you where spiritual awakening starts. It starts in our prayer closet. It starts in the secret place. It starts on our knees. And let me tell you, that's not the outside coming in. That's the inside coming out. So listen to this. To become fully conscious and aware of the truth that already is. Well, what is the truth that already is? It's this. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not a slave. You're a child of the Most High God. You are a king's kid. You are royalty. That's not arrogance. It's agreement with the Scripture. And when we align ourselves with the Scripture, we begin to think what God thinks and say what God says. And when we do that, our words are activated with power, a grace, and anointing. And when we do that, atmospheres have to change. Can I get an amen? When you speak the Word of God and you speak truth and you align yourself with it, it's like going over to that thermostat, setting it at 72, and the system kicks in and starts to drop the temperature. It's having a hard time today. I'm just telling you, I can feel it up here. 
But the system goes to work when we set the thermostat, and there's a target. When you speak the Word of God, you've set a target, and the kingdom goes to work to align atmospheres and realities with that which you called forth in the kingdom. I know that's a heavy revy right there. But your words matter. That's why we need to cut the negative talk out of our life. We need to cut the complaining out of our life. We need to cut the, the, the woe is me language out of our life because we are sabotaging our own faith. Speak life, speak words, speak hope. Let's move forward. Ready? Verse 1. This is Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to do the first half of this in the New Living Translation because when Paul gets doctrinal and stuff, I like to use that. It's a great narrative flow. But I'm going to shift gears in verse 11 into the New King James because I love the classic language on this passage. So here it is, verse 1. Therefore, I, a prisoner, Paul was a prisoner. He was writing from prison. A prisoner for serving the Lord beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling. Did you know you have a calling? He was writing this to every believer. Circular letter meant to go everywhere. Listen to this. You have a calling on your life. Some of you are going, really? Me? No, you have a calling. You're the pastor. Russ has a calling. He's the worship pastor. Jason has a calling. Crystal has a calling. Annette has a calling. All all of y'all have callings. Austin had a calling. He's a missionary. No, no, no. Every person here has a calling. And do you know that one of the core values of Bridge Church that I absolutely, totally stole from Oak Hills, completely ripped it off because it's my core value, and it was my core value before I got here, is this, every believer a minister. Let me say that again. Every believer a minister, and that means where you live, where you work, and where you play, you are called to administer the gospel. You are called to administer the grace of God where you live, where you work, and where you play. That means as you are going, we we talked about that in Matthew 28, as you are going, make disciples of the nations. You do that every day where you live, where you... Listen, just because I have a job title and I've been trained to be a pastor and a teacher and all that, that's just one out of a million lanes to run in. And your lane is no less important than my lane. And my lane is no more important than yours, nor is my lane any less valuable than yours. We are in this together, and as we run in our respective callings, what happens is we advance the kingdom down the track together. We are better together. I know it's a cheesy slogan, but I like it because it's true. We're better together. We need each other. We need Holy Ghost Lutheran Church. We need Bethany. We need St. Barnabas, Jeff Hammond. We need Bobby V. Tech. We need Hill Country Bible. We need each other. We are better together. We need to get over ourselves and our arrogance and say, no, I need you. I need help. You do this because you're called to do it. You do it better than I do it because you have a grace on your life to do that. Jeff Hammond and I were talking. We had breakfast last week, and we were talking about trading pulpits. And we were laughing. He was like, how long do you preach? I said, yeah, 35, 40 minutes. He said, oh, my gosh. I said, well, how long do you preach? 15 minutes. I said, wait, I'm getting the short end of the deal here. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to revoke that. No, we want to talk. Why do we want to do this? Because we want to grow together and see the body of Christ advance. Listen to this. You have a calling. You've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Can I someone just say out loud, always? always? 
you would never believe what that Greek word means. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Oh, here's the good news about patience. Is it is not a fruit of the flesh. In other words, you can't work it up. Your adrenaline will wear off in 30 seconds. Amen? You can try. You can do the best you can. And listen, it doesn't do any good to not pray for it. I've heard people say, don't pray for patience because you're just asking for a test. Let me tell you something. God loves you so much, he's going to test you anyway. So it doesn't matter if you pray for it or not. Why? Because patience is so connected to our flesh. That is why it is listed as one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, not of the flesh. Does that make sense? So when I'm walking with him in lockstep and I'm walking in the Spirit and by the Spirit, guess what flows out of me? Patience. Guess what comes out of you? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all those. Listen to this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. What does that sign say on the wall? No perfect. No per- Some of you are going, what sign? It's invisible, but it's there nonetheless. No perfect people allowed. One of my criteria when someone wants to visit our church, I, and I talked to a guy last week, and I said, are you per-? I said, wait a minute, are you perfect? He goes, no. I said, good, you can come. No perfect people. Listen, there isn't a person in this room who's got it together. Sorry to burst your bubble. Sorry to expose your, your, your personal protection. Because we are constantly trying to protect ourselves, are we not? I don't want anybody to know that I don't have it together. Let me just tell you something. We don't have it together. I don't. But I'm in my lane. And you can have it not together, but be in your lane, and God will touch you, bless you, work through you, because he always uses broken, marred vessels. Amen? So listen to this. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. See, we need to be free to love. Can I get an amen? You know what that was right there? That was a shameless plug for Wednesday night at 6.30. The title of our, our study is Free to Love. We want to see you free so you can love because if you're not free, you can't love Bible love. You can't love unconditionally if you're not free. So if you're here and you're not free, you need to be here on Wednesday night at 6.30. How's that for leverage? Come, come on. We're learning what it means to be free to love. Verse 3, make every effort, Paul again, make every effort, not a little bit, but every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. When we violate unity, we are in violation of one of the core, core values and teachings of the entire Bible. If you are divisive, if you are critical, negative, and breaking things up in the body of Christ, you are on scary, thin ice. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. When people walk in disunity and division, I don't get mad. I have compassion because I know what they are setting their lives up for. Been there, done it, got a closet full of T-shirts. Actually, I have 10 closets. When you are walking in division and disunity, you're not setting the church up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure. You are on thin ice. Warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger. Yeah, 15 people got that. I always date myself on these things. (laughs) 
Look what it says. There's one body, one spirit, just you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. Paul's being practical. He's laying in. Look at verse 5. There's one Lord, one faith. He gets a little bit more. He goes deeper. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. By the way, there's three baptisms. This is one baptism into the body of Christ. Context, context, context. He's talking about the church here. He's not talking about various ancillary teachings. He's talking about the body of Christ. There's one baptism into the body. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Paul just gets himself a little stirred up here. Can you sense it? Can you feel it? He's like going after it. Why? Because he knows these are the last words he may write. This may be it for him. And he's trying to get it all in and say, Jesus, God, is everything. Everything. If Christ is not the center of your world, that means he's on an outer circle. Not good. That means your life is out of balance, just like when a weight gets thrown off of a tire. It's just out of balance, and it wears out very quickly. Verse 7, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You're going to see in the next verse or two why this is critical. So here it is. You have been given gifts. Did you know you have a grace gift on your life? You have multiple gifts, but you have a grace, a grace gift. Remember what grace means? God's power, God's strength, God's authority. Come on. God's favor. God's ability to do what you cannot in and of yourself do. That is the grace of God. And that's there's a gift on your life, a grace, a charis gift on your life. Life. Now, look what he says here. That is why the scriptures say, When he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. In other words, the picture here of Jesus being the conquering king who rises up and conquers the kingdom of the enemy. Do you believe Jesus won? Yes. Not just because there was a Carmen song that said that, said that right? It's literally, he, five people got that one. He literally, he's the conquering king. He's, and he's triumphant. And when a king conquered another king, an enemy, they would parade the captives through the street and they would take the spoils from the land and they would give it all to all the people? No. The king took it to his treasury. The people didn't benefit from conquering. The king benefited. This is where Jesus, again, flips the script on the world. You do understand we are living in an upside-down world right now. The kingdom is right-side up. We're the ones that are upside-down, and everything in our lives should be about right-sizing our lives and aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we're in an upside-down world. The kingdom is right-side up, and Jesus here is saying, I'm flipping it up again, and here's why. Because as a conquering king, I take the spoils of the enemy. What would the spoils of the enemy be? Souls, lives, transformation, change, harvest. And he says, I'm giving the spoils to the people. This is what it says. This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave what? He gave the spoils of the enemy's kingdom to us. That's why the Bible says he has the keys to the kingdom. And guess where he has given the keys? To you and me. Brother, sister, you're packing the keys of the kingdom right now, and some of you don't even know it. You're packing heat 
and you don't even know how powerful you are. That's not a put-down. That's a reality. It was my reality for years as a follower of Jesus. I didn't know I was packing heat. I was dangerous and didn't even know it. Oh, but when I got a hold of it, guess who else found out I was dangerous? The enemy. Let me tell you something. There's some of you in this congregation that when you wake up, all hell goes on alert. Sirens go off in hell because they're like, oh, no, they're awake. We're in trouble. Because when you wake up and know who you are in Christ, whose you are, you know the authority that's been given to you, you wake up and all hell trembles. Shouldn't that be the way it is? Let me ask you a question. This is honest. This is honest. Does hell worry about it when you wake up? Is the enemy worried about you right now in your season of life, where you are, where you sit, where you stand, where you live? Is the enemy nervous when you wake up? If he's not, that means we're hoarding and hiding our gifts, hoarding and hiding the weapons of the warfare that we have. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare in a couple of chapters, and it gets good. It's strong. So hang in with us. So he led and gave gifts to us. Now look what happens. Verse 9. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended. Now, some scholars, but a fewer group of scholars, will say he went down into hell, and he, and he whooped up on the devil and the demons and then came up. And No, no, no. That's not what it says, at least in this context. In this context, it says he came down to us. And the New Living Translation got it right here. He came down. Jesus put on an earth suit and moved into our neighborhood. It's called the incarnation. Jesus coming down to us, the incarnation of Christ. He is now one of us, he allowed himself, he emptied himself of his deity and came down to us. Let's keep moving. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher. It just said that in the, in the previous verse. Then all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. There is no place that you cannot go that Jesus hasn't already been there. No way. Don't think you're, you're discovering new territory. Jesus is already there. Verse 11. And he himself, now he switches gears, he says, in light of what you just learned, in light of what I just wrote, in light of what I just said, preeminence of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one, all in all, in light of all that and that he conquered all kingdoms, in light of that, here's what he does for us, and this is where Paul gets practical for the church. We'll just spend a couple of minutes on this. He himself gave some to be apostles. Let me tell you what apostles are not. We're not talking about leaders in the church. We're talking about missionaries, ones sent. Paul was a sent one. The word apostle literally means sent one. Well, the disciples became apostles. It wasn't referring to their leadership. It was, it was referring to their sentness. We see it in Mark chapter 16. We see it in Matthew chapter 28 when he told those same disciples... Go, therefore, as you are going, make disciples of the nations. Disciple the nations, teaching them, baptizing them. Everything I've... You teach them what I... He sent them. Why are they apostles? Because they sit on a throne? No, they're apostles because they're sent ones. Guess what? Their calling is our calling. Go, therefore, and make disciples. As you are going, where you live... Where you work, where you play, go therefore and make disciples. That means living a life on mission. Does that make sense? He says this, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets. Prophets are two-layered, no time to unpack. I'll give you the bottom line. They are foretellers and foretellers, both. Both layers there. 
That's another teaching for another time. Some evangelists, you ever known an evangelist? I knew one, his name's Clyde Brown from Midland, Texas, a house builder there for many years. He had the loudest amen in the entire church. Amen! He would always amen everything. That man, Clyde Brown, retired home builder, would get in an elevator on the eighth floor. By the time he was on the first, someone would walk out born again. I am not kidding. I, Jason Banks, they know Clyde Brown. Does he not say, amen? And people get saved around him constantly. Why? Because he walks in the office of evangelists. That is the grace gift on his life. It's embarrassing. I'm in an elevator. I'm trying to share the gospel. Nothing happens, but people feel better because I'm a pastor. Or maybe I unpack a Greek word with them because I'm a teacher. But when they get off with, with Clyde, they're born again, saved for eternity. And, and heaven's rejoicing. It didn't work for me. Why? Because he's an evangelist. I have an assignment of evangelism, but I don't walk in the office of, in the grace gift of, evangelists. Back when you were in the Baptist church, back in the old days, remember that? We'd have five-day revivals, exhausting. Every night, we'd show up. Here's what would happen. An evangelist would come, and here's what would happen in the Baptist church. If he was a real evangelist, like walked in the office of it, people got saved all week long, right? In our Baptist churches. What happened after they left? For a few weeks people would continue to get saved, right? Why? There was a residue because the gift of, listen to this, the gift of the evangelist was released into the body. What happens when missionaries show up and show their films and we cry and we write checks? It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's amazing. But what happens? We all feel compelled to go ourselves, do we not? We're inspired. We're motivated. We get on mission. Why? Because the grace gift of the missionary gets released into the body. You can go down the list. You got somebody who's a pastor, teacher. Guess what? You get around Max Lucado for 15 minutes. You want to go love the world. I just want to love you. I want to encourage you. Why? He's a gift of encouragement. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. And you get around him. It's like, oh, I just love everybody. All the, you're crying at commercials when they come on. You're, you're crying at Lifetime movies. I'm talking about the guys out here. I'm saying when you get around a pastor, shepherd, you feel shepherdly and pastorly. Yeah, I made up a word. So you feel that. Why? Because that grace gets released in the body. That's why these are gifts to the church. And you go down the list. Every one of you have a call in your life. Every one of you are a minister. If you're in Christ, if you've stepped over the line and gone all in with Jesus and you're born again, born of the Spirit, born from above, saved, you have a call in your life. And here's part of our, I'll end with this, one more verse. Verse 12. Here's the point. These gifts are given to the church to do one thing, and it is to equip the saints. And I am talking about you. You are saints. I want the worship team to go ahead and make their way up. You are saints. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You, my friend, are a saint. Why? Because Jesus has made you to be the righteousness of God. He's given you the mind of Christ. He's made you holy, blameless, and above reproach, which means unaccusable and impermeable. That is who you are in Christ. And because of that, you are being equipped for the work of the ministry. Why do I get up here and beat this drum where you live, work, and play every Sunday? Why do I talk about the harvest vision all the time? Because I'm equipping you. I'm motivating you. I'm compelling you. I'm urging you. I'm exhorting you. I'm admonishing you to say, let's get on mission with what God's up to. 
And let's see our city and our region changed in our lifetime. Amen? So Russ's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 30 years ago, it would have been Russ's job to do visitation because he's a paid staff person while you stayed at home on Tuesday night. I'm so glad that we're figuring out the right order here. Russ cannot go where you go. I cannot go where you go. I don't know who you know. You have been given a gift, and it's called a sphere of influence. There are people that are in your relational orbit that only you can reach. And here's how it works. Christ in you lives his life through you to reach them. It's not all on you. You just show up with Jesus. A friend of mine used to say, if we just live holy and show up, the world would be transformed. <laughs> so show up. But when you show up, you show up on purpose and with purpose. And Jesus, through you, through your call, through your gifts, through the grace that's on you, will touch their lives. And harvest will be realized in our time. Amen? Can you bow your heads? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for the scripture, oh Lord. Thank you for the scripture. Father, I'm looking out here on a bunch of saints. A whole bunch of saints here. And I'm asking you, Lord, to open our eyes and ignite, ignite our hearts for Jesus. That Jesus will be first and foremost and preeminent and be the priority of our lives. And as we get to know him and him, he in us and we get to learn our identity, we are ignited with a passion for the gospel passion for the kingdom, passion for transformation and change in our lives, right here, right now. So Lord, I'm asking you, open our eyes, light the fire. We love you, Father. If there's anybody here this morning and you need prayer, I want to invite our prayer team to come on up. You need prayer for any reason, we're here for you. If you need prayer for a situation that is about somebody else, but you want agreement on that, we're here for you. So if you guys will go ahead and come up. And for anybody here and you've never stepped over the line to go all in with Jesus and you're ready, this is your day. This is your moment. This is your opportunity. And we're here for you. And we invite you as well to come forward while we're worshiping. They'll be here just for a little bit after we end the song. That doesn't mean it's over. We'll still be here. We're here for you. God bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, we honor you in our worship. And I pray for every person that's coming forward for prayer that you would meet them right where they are. In Jesus' name, everyone said.